when we begin to understand <laughs> the depth of that wonderful love, what else would I do? Where else would I be? Whom else would I honour? You know, what else is this life for? These hands, these feet, these eyes. What else is it about? It's all leading me to glory. That's what sanctification is. You know? And that's why we read in the Bible is that it's the love of God that constrains us. It drives us. It compels us. It moves us into an ever-deepening relationship of humility and obedience unto the creator of heaven and earth who has loved us so much that he gave us his only begotten son that we should believe on him and not perish. It's great, isn't it? That's the journey we're on. That's a wonderful journey. And he does wonderful things all the time. All the time. And that's why I'm going to ask Martin up to, um, where are you, man? To share with us. Just so you can all hear me. Um, my wife would be here, but I don't know if you heard my the baby was screaming, um, which is good. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I just, yeah, I really just wanted to come up here, give you an update on how it all went. Um, could be overwhelmed this time. Last time was easier. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was listening to that song well, I was singing that song then and the thought occurred to me that there's probably been many times in my life where I've sung that song without actually grasping it and probably without meaning it and I think that lots of us are probably guilty of that at times where we're just, as Steve said you know, we're blasé and I've definitely been guilty of that in my life um, but I'm here to testify, you know, how deep the Father's love for us actually is, yeah? Because on Tuesday the 25th of last month, I watched a nursing staff take my baby away from us to basically break her chest open and perform surgery on her beating heart. Um, and and we had to go away and we just had to, we had to wait we had to wait until they find us basically and say what happened which is hard <laughs> um and i'm so very thankful for all your prayer everyone's prayers everyone's support um in, in any way i'm just still yeah still kind of anyway so today, I can tell you that she had the surgery on the Tuesday morning. It went very well. The surgeon casually told us that he did a number of different things. They were cutting bits out and pulling bits off and made things flow better and something like that. <laughs> very, very casually. <laughs> um, which was like, hard to have confidence in. It's so scary. It's like <laughs> um, but so he was very happy and... He even, the hope is that she won't need any more surgeries. Um, so, so that's an ongoing hope. 
Uh, on Tuesday night, they woke her up out of her unconscious state, which was very fast. And then she was in ICU for one night, which was also very fast. And then she was out of the hospital on the Friday, um, which is basically one of the fastest recoveries of that type they've ever seen, which is, which is all good. Because it's... You know, um, yeah, and then we were just waiting at Ronald McDonald House, which is, an, which is an amazing place, and you soon learn, even us, there are people in lot worse places and children in lot worse conditions who don't actually have, you know, family praying for them and fasting and go, oh, look, they're here. Do you, you can come up. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, so we were just waiting. We got the follow-up, and he said we can come back home. So we came back home on Friday. We're here now. Um, there's a bit of reviews and stuff ongoing. The main thing right now is please do not pick Abigail up, basically. Um, I know everyone wants to hug her and hold her, but, the, you know, you can't pick her up. You just have to know how to do it, so... Um, it's easier if you if you want to hold her, just ask us. If she gets in your way, just stop her and get us. <laughs> well, that's it. So yeah, God is you know, God is a prayer answering God, and He is a faithful God and a merciful God, and He does love us, you know, to the point of salvation of our souls and ongoing after that as well. That's pretty special, isn't it? Yeah. Thanks, Marty. Thanks, Louise. So we're not allowed to pick her up. That made me sad. <laughs> uh, we'll get our turns back, won't we? Let's pray. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do. We just thank you so much for your goodness to us, Lord, and, and for Marty, Louise, and Abby, and Lord, everything that you're doing there, we thank you for that finished work. We thank you for your healing touch, your hand of restoration. And Lord, we give you praise and we give you thanks in anticipation of the greatness of the work that you're not only going to do in this little girl's physical body, but what you're going to do with the rest of her life, Lord God. Thank you, Father, that your hand is upon her to raise her up according to your glorious purpose. Thank you for this family that's going to have this incredible rich testimony of your goodness and your power to, to keep and to protect and to nurture and to defy Lord, uh, Lord, even what the doctors would say, we thank you that you are our God. And if you are for us, who can be against us? What a great and awesome God you are. We bless your holy name. We praise you for who you are and what you do. In Jesus' most wonderful name we pray. Amen. Amen. And it's wonderful to have Simone. Where are you? Right there. God is always good, isn't he, Simone? Thank you. Um, and he's always doing good things in all of us. So it's great. It's great to be here, to be able to worship him and to be able to testify of that reality. Um, I need to make an apology. If there's any visitors in the room, we want to apologise for the absence of a sign marking our presence here. Um, we went away for a week and while we were away, we got back and someone decided they needed to um, colour our sign in. 
Um, and then Glenn, God bless you, thank you for cleaning it. But as he cleaned it, everything came off it. And so, so we're in the processes of getting a brand new sign, you know. Uh, so I want to thank that guy who, who obviously is a great artist, but he was, he was obviously working late at night and in the dark because his end result wasn't that good. Um, um, uh, yeah, so apologies for that one. Will you turn with me and open your Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 10? Very simple message this morning. I'm not going to keep you long, and I know that's always, oh, that's always a problem by opening with that, but I'm endeavouring not to do so. Um, we're making our way through the book of Romans. Did you enjoy camp? Did we mention camp? Nobody mentioned camp? I've made so many new friends at camp. So many new friends, and, and none of them were taller than this. You know that? None of them were. I had the best time with the kids. They were great. We invented new ways to drag kids down a slippery slide. Um, thanks again to Glenn. <laughs> no, thank you. I'm thanking you. I'm thanking you. It was wonderful. Um, all right, I'll add nothing to that story. But it was a great camp. It was good. It was wonderful. Um, Marty, did you? Marty mentioned that we have. I've got to say this. We've got the Passover. Uh, meal coming up and I need to stress just in case none of you have been before or are aware of this we do this every year on the Thursday night before Good Friday but we're not here to observe Passover please understand that we believe that the Passover represents the fulfillment of what God had always intended to do through Christ and so what we do is we want to th on the Thursday night before Easter as a family we gather in this place and we want to put ourselves in the place of Jesus and the disciples on the night of his arrest that we might prepare our hearts for the day to come because the world wants to steal this away from us. The world wants us celebrating bunny rabbits and Easter eggs and wants us to lose the impact of the most important day in the Christian calendar. And so we do that as a, yes, as a memorial and in remembrance, but just to get our hearts right for what this is really all about. So if you've never been along, it is a wonderful experience. It really is. Put yourself in the place of Jesus and the disciples on the night that he was arrested. Um, it is, though. You've, who's been? It is a great experience, isn't it? It really is. I encourage you, get along. So Romans, <clears throat> we're at this passage of scripture that is so familiar and it's great plaque material uh, and we may even have it written somewhere in our homes or we might have it written down somewhere because we think that's such a wonderful thing it says how then shall verse 14 of chapter 10 how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed and how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard and how shall they hear without a preacher and how shall they preach unless they are sent as it is written how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. That's where we're up to in the book of Romans. Can I take you back a little bit? Because in the eighth chapter of Romans, the Apostle Paul is telling us of the believer's security uh, in the finished work, in this wonderful salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. Let me just read some of these. Again, I'm just going to... Let me just read these. Back in chapter 8, he says, And we know, we know these words so well, and we know that all things work together for good to those who, are, who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn amongst many brethren. 
Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And verse 34, it is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, even, uh, who is even at the right hand of God and who makes intercession for us. Who shall, call, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Incredible confidence, isn't it? Incredible confidence that we have in this salvation that Christ has won for us. We sang it. It is finished, isn't it? The work of redemption is finished. Wonderful security for the believers in Jesus Christ. Now that was chapter 8. And when we went through chapter 9, chapter 9 was in a sense preempting a question that was asking, well, if that is the case, if we have this wonderful, self, this wonderful security in the salvation that God has brought through his covenant with us, then what about the nation Israel? You know, were they not God's chosen people? But now if God is building a church that is from Jews and Gentiles, then the, then the preemptive question might be, well, what about the exclusivity of God's elective promises to that nation? What happened there? The question would be, how can we believe, as chapter 8 says, all, that all believers are absolutely secure in Christ if Israel is not secure in its original election promises by God to it? That was a preemptive question being answered in chapter 9. And so then what we have from chapter 9 through chapter 11, what we see is God, well, we are seeing the justification, if you will, of God's sovereign purpose in setting Israel aside for a period that the New Testament, Testament church might be born and grow and establish and we learn, what we learn is that God foreknew and God used Israel, we used Israel's fall to make salvation available to the entire world. And we will look more at this in chapter, the next chapter. And yet the day is coming. This is what chapter 11 is all about. And yet the day is coming in that God's sovereign purposes will be fulfilled as God once again restores the covenant people of Israel to fulfill his promises to them. So what we see in this extended passage is that God's sovereign purposes and choices are made on behalf of nations and they're made on behalf of people. What we see in this passage is that God ordains lives, he ordains nations before nations and people are born. Yet at the same time, we read, for example, in 1 Peter chapter 2, that it tells us that we are the elect of God according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctification of the Spirit. And so then what we see in these chapters is the whosoever's. 
And this is where we got to last time. For whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So what we see, and I, I, I'm taking a little while to say this, so what we see is the divine sovereignty and the human responsibility are revealed in these chapters. And I, as a believer, hold to both of them. And I don't hold to them as a Calvinist. I don't hold to them as an Armenianist, but rather I hold to them as a believer who, in what God has said, that's where my heart rests. So this is where we're at right now. We've seen the sovereignty of God. We realize that we have, and we also realize that we have a responsibility to respond to God's call upon our lives. He sovereignly chooses. He sovereignly elects. He sovereignly calls. But we have a human responsibility to respond to that sovereign call upon our lives, which brings us to these wonderful words. These wonderful words. How then, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. So how can you call on God if you don't believe? How can you believe if you have not heard? And how can you hear if it hasn't been proclaimed? And how can it be proclaimed if nobody is sent? Did you know there are some 110 references in the gospel? Sorry, 110 references where the gospel in the New Testament is being offered to those who will believe in different forms, you know? From the very beginning, from the very beginning when the church was born on the day of Pentecost. Remember Peter crying out from the, the Old Testament prophet Joel? He cried out from that prophecy, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And from that beginning right through to the closing of the age of man upon this planet, we read the words of Revelation. And in Revelation 22, when we come to the, that final chapter, the closing of the canon of Scripture, we read in verse 17 of chapter 22, it says, And the Spirit and the Bride, what do they say? They say, Come. And the spirit, please hear it, and the bride says, come, and let him who hears say, come, and let him who thirsts come, whoever desires, let him come and take freely of life. Did you notice the subtlety, subtlety there in those words? Both the spirit and the bride says, come. Both the Spirit of God and the Bride, the church, you and I, say come. So the Spirit of God, we know, is the one that convicts the hearts of people. The Spirit of God is drawing the hearts of man. But it is man, you and I, who must exercise faith. It is man, it is you and I, that must engage with God and trust Him it is man's responsibility to respond. My question, 
and we know the answer is given in this wonderful passage, but respond to what? To what? Do we respond to a feeling in our hearts? Do we respond to a feeling in our hearts that we simply cannot resist? Is that how God saves us? Is that how God draws us? Now, we can, go to, we can go to the gospel and we can read where Jesus said in John chapter 6 and verse 44. You know these words as well. He says, no one comes to the Father unless... Actually, he said, no one comes to me, sorry, unless the Father draws him. He says, I will raise him up in the last days. This is John 6, 44 and 45. No one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up in the last days. It is written in the prophets, and they say all will be taught of God. Therefore, Jesus says, please hear this, therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me, Jesus says. He's quoting from Isaiah chapter 54 and verse 13. And he is saying that the only route to himself, the only route to Christ, the only route to the salvation of God through the finished work of Christ is by means of the drawing of God. Again, is it an irresistible feeling in my heart that I can't resist? Is it so overwhelming it's as if you don't have a choice in the matter? Is that what it is? You've already said no, and I love it that you've said no. You know what Jesus will say... In John's Gospel, using the same word, he said, If I, I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto myself. You see, if that drawing is an irresistible force, then Jesus is saying that everybody's going to come. Everybody's going to be saved. And we know that's not what the Gospel teaches us. We know that. You know what I think? I think we get a better idea of the drawing of God from verses like, well, like we're given in Jeremiah chapter 31. And he says in verse 3 to his people, he says, I have loved you. You know these verses? I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn you. This does not describe an irresistible force, but rather contrary, it's describing a wooing of the Spirit. It's a, it's a courting of God. And I think if we're honest and we think back in our own relationships and the way we came to Christ, every one of us came uniquely, every one of us came individually, but there was a process, wasn't there? There was a time when God began to speak and God began to woo. And for all different circumstances, some of us came the hard way, some of us came the easy way. I've got a report I came the hard way. Fighting and kicking and screaming all the way. But as I came, the one thing that got my heart was simply that, that there is a God that loves me. There's a God that loves me. He's wooed me. He courted me. And did you notice Jesus, Jesus says in that process, he says, they shall be taught by God. He says, everyone, this is what Jesus said, everyone that has heard and learned from the Father does what? Comes to me. 
Everyone that has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. So we have been taught, we have been instructed, we've been hearing. This is that wooing process. We're hearing, we're receiving, we're learning, we're grasping, we're understanding. Again, we discover once we come through into the family of God that it was the love of God that compelled us, wasn't it, you know? And that's what 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells us. It's the love of God. Your King James might say constrains us, compels us. We read earlier in the book of Romans, back in chapter 6, this is, but God be thanked that though you were slaves to sin, yet you obeyed from the heart, there's a wooing of God, you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. Our decision to surrender to God was not an irresistible draw imposed upon us. No, we came to truth, didn't we? We came to truth. We listened, we learned, and we understood this wonderful gospel that saves the souls of mankind. How? One verse wraps it up for us, doesn't it? God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that he gave his only begotten son, so whoever would believe on him will not perish but have everlasting life. He sent his son not into the world to condemn the world, but that through his son we might be saved. And we willingly came to Jesus, every one of us. Yes, we were drawn by God. But it's revealed truth. It's revealed truth brought about by the intellectual and emotional understanding. There's a working through both elements of the, of the human being. And the decision was made that I will surrender my life to this Savior. And so the scripture says, how can you call on God if you don't believe? And how can you believe if you haven't heard? And how can you hear if, you, if it has not been proclaimed and and how can it be proclaimed if nobody has been sent? Now, please, please note, I am not saying here that God will never work directly in a human heart without the human instrument. We're not saying that because we know he has and we know that he does. We know the, the Apostle Paul is a perfect example of that, don't we? On the road to Damascus, nobody was preaching to Paul. He was heading with hatred in his heart for Christians and God intervened in his life and God appeared to him and spoke to his heart and he cried out, Lord. We know God can and we know God does, but what Paul is saying here through the book of Romans by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is that's not the usual way that God works. And again, I'm not saying that God never ever uses angelic messengers because again, there are countless testimonies in the history of the church where God has spoken through such means, especially in parts of the world where there is no one there to preach the everlasting gospel. But again, that is not the usual form in which God works. And likewise, we know that through dreams and visions... We hear all the time of testimonies where people, especially in worlds like the Muslim world and the Hebrew Jewish world, where people are coming to Christ through such mediums. But again, God has ordained, and this is what we're being taught here, God has ordained that his means of salvation is by the preaching of the gospel through human instruments. That's God's ordained method. 
I sometimes think he should not have gone that way, don't you? But what a wonderful, wonderful truth it is to know that we have been enlisted. We have been recruited to take this everlasting gospel. And it changes people's souls, people's lives forever. Again, I I don't know what heaven's going to be like. I I don't know. But I, I know there's going to be many surprises for all of us the testimony of your life where you've shared the truth of Christ in different ways you've shared the gospel and there are people there right now and you don't even know that you were a part of it what a wonderful joy it's going to be don't you think don't you think so I'm going to say it again well have I said this the people you love and care about that don't know Jesus your unsaved loved ones The people that you work with every single day that don't know Jesus, the people that you see when you're in the gym, in the street, down the shops, walking the dog, the ones that don't know Jesus, what this is saying is they cannot see Jesus. They cannot look to him for everlasting life. They cannot go to heaven because they don't believe in him. And they don't believe in him because they haven't, what? They haven't been told. They haven't heard. And why haven't they heard? Because no one's told them. I know this is basic. I told you this was simple. But because no one has told them, someone needs to be sent. And I'm here to tell you this morning that every single one of us has been sent. Every single one of us are ministers of the grace of God. And we are sent with the good news. It's the great news, isn't it? Think about the news that people are getting today. What are they hearing today? The news that they hear today that is only, what is it only doing? It's only fostering fear in the hearts of people. All we hear about is there is a virus sweeping through this world. You know, we're seeing footage of people, of cities being completely evacuated and shut down. People forcibly taken from their homes. People being quarantined. And they are hearing and they are fearing. And people are starting already to do some very strange things, aren't they? (laughs) That's the news. We are ministers of God's covenant grace. The good news that saves people's souls. Every one of us that knows Christ has the Christ of salvation living in our hearts and we have all been sent. We've all been sent. We all have the good news. And my simple question for all of you this morning is, what is the news that we are delivering? What are we talking about? What are we talking about? When we're in the home, when we're in the schools, when we're in the lunchroom, when we're walking with our friends, when we're down the gym, when we're doing let's be honest, what are we talking about? I'll tell you what we're talking about. We're talking about the idiocy of, the idiocy of people emptying the shelves of toilet paper. Right? Think about it. Why? When we've got the everlasting gospel within our heart, we've got the good news. You know, and the scripture reminds us that that news, what describes that news in the human instruments, isn't it funny that it pictures the feet? Do you, do you sit at home and 
take your shoes off and socks off and throw your feet up on the, on the coffee table and look, now that looks good. Anybody? Well, yeah, that's good. I'm glad there's honest people in here. But most often we hide them away, don't we? Because we we don't view them as the prettiest part of our anatomy, if you will. No. But God sees them as the most beautiful thing. Why? Because they're carrying something. They're moving something. They're delivering something. We are sent, you know. Do you remember that person that came to you? Do you remember that person who brought the everlasting gospel to you? The person that brought the words of salvation to your heart? The person who you will never forget for the rest of your days? The person you know in your heart that you're going to be given thanks to God for throughout all eternity? The person that brought that revelation to you? Think about it. Think about the message that they brought to you. There's no human message. Everything about it is divine. Everything about it is is spirit-born. It wasn't human reasoning. It it came from the very creator of heaven and earth. And that's why it pierced your heart. That's why it changed the way you think. That's why it set your life on a different course. That's why it's so beautiful to you. That's what Paul said to the Galatian churches. You can read it when he said in Galatians chapter 1, he said, but I make known unto you, this is verse 11, but I make known unto you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man nor was I taught it, but it came from the revelation of Jesus Christ. He said, I want you to know this gospel is not from man, it's from God. And I want you to know it. I want you to have it in your heart. See, you have the truth in your heart, people. I know I've said it, but it saves people's souls. Is it any wonder that the Apostle Paul lived and breathed the gospel message? Because this is truth to him. Is it any wonder that he determined not to know anything apart from Jesus Christ and him crucified? As I said to you at camp last Sunday, this little man, you know, whose life, whose presentation appealed to no fads of humanity. But he would say in Romans that I'm a debtor. What does he mean by that? This truth in my heart, it's not just for me. He says, I'm a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to those that are in Rome also. That is, I am eager This is what I shared with you last Sunday at camp. I am eager and I am willing to preach the gospel. That's why he said earlier, I am not ashamed. But there is a sense of obligation within him and nothing is going to stop me, the Apostle Paul said. Why was he eager to go to Rome and preach this gospel? Why? You think about that man. Because again, if tradition is true, he was a small, unattractive Stooped, hooked nose, interview, in, hooked nose individual who had a repulsive eye condition that would not stop. And he certainly was no silver-tongued speaker. He was a rough diamond, you know. You stop and you think about a man like that. What could such an individual accomplish with the wise and the notable of this world? 
And he was so eager to get there. He was so eager to share it. Why? Because this little man, I don't know if he was little, but this little man did it because he thought he had something to say. Do you think that? Do you believe that this morning? Well, I'm here to tell you, if you don't, you need to. Because you have something so powerful, something so wonderful. The Apostle Paul, again, this little man went to the very center of the empire that ruled the world. Why? Because he had conviction. He had conviction that this gospel is powerful. It's powerful. Someone said this, it, says, it's, it said, it's not the presentation of an idea, but it's the operation of a power. And our conviction needs to be that conviction that we read about in the opening chapters, and that is the gospel itself is the power of God unto salvation to those that believe. The gospel is the power of God that becomes active upon the lips of the believer, or should I say more active, more accurately, in the heart of the hearer. Someone said this, it is a power that is not active in a stained glass window or an emotionally charged singing service or in a religious poster. He said, if that were true, then Jesus and the apostles would not, would not have been preachers. They would have been artists. But they weren't artists. They were preachers. I mean, Jesus sent the example for us. We see in Mark's gospel in the, in, in the first chapter, Jesus was doing many miracles. He was doing incredible things. And, you know, and overnight, everybody was coming to him. They were crowding all around. They just wanted more and more and more. And Jesus slipped away from that in the night to pray and the disciples came looking for him in the morning and said, Master, you've got to come back because everybody, everybody just wants you. What did he say? He looked at that and said, let go. In fact, he said, let's go to the next town. Why? So that I may preach. And then he said, because that's why I have come. Oh, yes, God heals. We've heard it this morning, haven't we? Yes, God delivers. We know in our own lives. But primarily, God wants us delivering the power of the gospel message wherever we go. I tell you, and I've said this many times, if we would share the simple gospel message that Jesus died, a substitutionary death where my sin condemned me, Jesus in my place suffered the penalty of that sin and then he rose from the dead and because he rose from the dead in resurrection life, I too experience that resurrection life so now I can live forever in the presence of God. If we would simply share this gospel message, and we don't have to use those words, but if we would simply share this gospel message and then just get out of the way, just get out of the way, and the power of the gospel will make those dead to sin alive to God. The man that came to me and shared that gospel with me, I was in a hospital bed. And he came in and he shared the truth and he simply said, there is a better way. You know, and you, many of you know my story. That wasn't the gospel. But you know what that was? 
That was the wooing of the Spirit of God for the agency of a human being. Both were at work. Both the Spirit and the bride say, come. And that's what was happening there. I'll tell you what, I left that hospital. I left that hospital. I wasn't the same. I wasn't saved, but I wasn't the same. There was a drawing. There was a courting going on. And there were days and weeks and months yet to happen still. But in that process, I learned and I understood and I came to a knowledge of the Saviour. And the day came when I cried out to him and said, yes, Lord, be my Saviour. The gospel was shared with me. A man with beautiful feet brought that truth to me. And God did the work by his spirit as he instructed me through his word, through human agencies. You know, I stop and I think about that often. And then I look back to the church history. And I look to the example of the Apostle Paul. And again, probably not the most appealing personality. Yet this man with that message, that message of Christ in his heart, sharing that message changed human civilization. And, and, and make no mistake... Because he did, 2,000 years later, that man came to my hospital bed. No mistake about it. His feet were beautiful. His feet were beautiful. And you and I have likewise been commissioned to be the beautiful feet that preach the good news around this world. What a remarkable thing that it is. And I just want you to stop today. And I want you to reflect upon this. I want you to realize that God has entrusted unto you the words of eternal life. Eternal life. You know when Jesus preached in John chapter 6 that gospel about the, about the bread of life? He said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. We're told then that so many people, so many people following him, no longer followed him. And he turned to the disciples and he said to them, will you leave me also? And Peter responded and said, what? Where can we go? For you alone have the words of eternal life. I'm here to tell you people, there are people in your life. There are loved ones. There are loved ones who need you to speak the words of eternal life because there's nowhere else for them to go. Nowhere else. The world is speaking fear and trepidation. The world is speaking hopelessness. And in you is the hope of God unto salvation. All of us. We have the words that bring life to death through the blood of Jesus Christ. And I'm here to tell you, you've been equipped, people, to do it. Every one of you, you're equipped to do it. Do I need to say any more? Do you think I've done it? Have we done it? Now, let me say this last thing. Remember this, and I know I've said this before. Remember this. You're going to share this gospel because it's the gospel of God's love to mankind. This love has been born in your heart. You're constrained by God. You've got to tell these people. You've got to tell them the way to salvation. You have to do it. But let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. Some people are going to laugh at you. Some are going to laugh at you. Some are going to treat you like a fool. 
and some will never talk to you again. But those who are called of God will look to you as the most important human being that has ever walked on the face of this planet next to Jesus Christ. You realise that? That's the power of God's salvation. That's the enormity of the work that God wants to do in you and through you. And that's why the Apostle Paul is quoting how beautiful. Actually, quoting Isaiah chapter 52. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring the good news, who proclaim peace and bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, here it is, your God reigns. He reigns in your life.